Hey there, welcome to the REE Friends Podcast. I'm so excited. You know that I've been talking about this forever and a half. And if you're here, more than likely you are as obsessed with real estate investing as I am. And I just wanted to record the conversations that I have pretty much on a regular basis. And today we have someone awesome that I want to talk to about. And his name is John and he's going to tell us all about him. And really you're going to eavesdrop on our conversation and hopefully you'll learn something and and leave inspire to begin or um, increase your real estate game all right so let's bring john on hey john hello hello how are you i am doing amazing let's see if we can see you turn your camera on if you don't mind There we go. Here you are. So how are you? I am doing very well. Awesome. Thank you so much for being a guest of the REI Friends Podcast. Tell the audience a little bit about John. Who is John? Okay, well, I'm actually based out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I am a real estate agent and a coach. Um, I've dabbled in many business, a serial entrepreneur. I've had uh, marketing and print business before. I was uh, in the top 100 print and uh, yeah, print business, print companies in uh, North America. Once upon a time, I had eight figure a year business. I got into uh, real estate uh, as an agent after my parents got sick. When my parents got sick, I pretty much uh, sold off everything I was doing, closed down everything, took a couple of years off. And then when I did that, um, after a while, they went into a home and I was like, okay, well, I haven't worked in two years. I've been hanging around. And well, at that time, I was still quite young. So I'm going... I'm not exactly, well, I'm still young, but I'm not exactly going to be uh, just sitting around at home for 50 years and doing nothing. So, because I mean, I've got at least that <laughs> left, right? So I'm like, what do I do now? So I started thinking about things. And my dad uh, was uh, was a, uh, a rent, like he, he had a lot of rental properties, right? Like he had rental properties. And I remember as a kid growing up, I used to go to um, and go with him to pick up the rents or if there's a problem that needed you know, repairs or whatever it is that I remember I'd go with him because my dad was a little handy and when whatever he wasn't handy with, my uncle was. So between the two of them, something got done. And um, so I thought about it. That interests me. I mean, I was uh, not going to go back into everything else I did. Yeah. I didn't want to go back into everything else I did. So I thought, you know, that interests me. I'm going to open houses. So I thought, if I'm already doing that, why don't I just do something to make money there instead of doing it for free? So that's when I decided I'm going to get my real estate license. Since I'm at home and I had the opportunity, you know, like uh, like rather than getting a job and then doing something and then quitting and whatever, I said I have the opportunity to just focus on this. So that's exactly what I did. I got my real estate license and then uh, just expanded from there. I love that. I love you said quite a few things that I love. So thank you so much for giving us that background. That's awesome. So you work and I'll introduce uh, into real estate investing via your dad. So you were that kid that would go and get the checks. Do you ever see any stories of people hiding or not paying anything like that ever happen? Well, ironically, uh, there was one big story and it was, uh, one of the, uh, rental properties my dad had. He, um, when he got into his eighties, something was off, you know, psychologically. And he just decided he had to dump this property. There's no particular reason he had to dump it. He just decided he had to dump it and he was having breakdowns over it. So, you know, 
obviously just the, within a couple of years of that he was in the home so obviously something started at that point but we didn't know right and he was just having psychological breakdown so he wanted to get rid of it and thought I don't know why but you know we went with it because it's better than watching him have meltdowns every day because he's all panicked and so we uh, tried to evict the tenants that were there and they were there for 30 years and mark my words, like as, as I want to be clear, I'm going to give you a story that sounds horrendous, but reality is, remember, we collected 30 years of rent from these guys. That house was basically, other than the down payment, that house was basically paid by them and right. then some. So even if they didn't pay us for the last year, we've already made our money. So it really didn't matter. But what ended up happening is we wanted to sell it and we um, evicted the, uh, the tenants. We and they made it sound like they were going to leave. Then it came time to leave. And, we, you know, they, they were fighting us at the landlord and tenant board. And I was like, what's going on here, right? So then that happened. And then we went to fight. They got an extension because apparently we didn't file the papers properly. Like we filed it on the wrong day. Oh, no. So we restarted the process, whatever. And meanwhile, they stopped paying the minute they knew we were evicting them. So what ended up happening? By the time we get another appointment with the landlord and tenant thing, because we did evict them now, and they just ignored it at this point. Like, now we did it properly. Um, it was another four months. So anyways, we're like eight, nine months in, and we finally get another appointment, which is for three months from there. So that's been a whole year at this point. That, that They didn't show up to the last one. By the time we came back from the landlord and tenant's board, they were gone. So that was a year without collecting rent. And that was the point of chasing it. Right. You know what I mean? Like it was a zero point. So we sold it to a developer because we had a very wide lot and a very long lot. So they were able to build uh, two homes on it. And um, we sold it to them. And I would have liked to have kept that place. And originally I would have thought, we actually originally thought maybe sell the home we were living in. It was the bigger home. And at that time it was just me and my dad left in that home. What do we need the bigger home for? Right. So I, I, this is me thinking. Right, right. right, so I think maybe we move into the smaller one. Like the lot was big, but the house was only 1,300 square foot. What do we need more for? So I thought maybe that's what we could do. One way, I remember walking through the home after the tenants left and we looked at it. We've got hardwood floors all over and there's this carpet in the middle of the living room. And it was not like an area carpet. It was like a carpet you'd have at your front door. And it was just in this odd spot. Mm -hmm. I thought it was the weirdest thing. I lit, my dad was downstairs, I lift up the carpet, he's looking up, I'm looking down, I can see right through the floor. Like, it was, but then again, we knew. I mean, the house was, would have been built in like 19, I think 1930, 1940, uh, there, or something like, or maybe 50. And we rented it out from 1980 to all the way to 2011. Wow. Right, so the point is that house was already aged. Right, it was as it was. So between that and thirty something years of rentals, you, you expect something. We weren't expecting that, <laughs> but we were expecting something, right? So and then they drew all over the walls at that point. But again, this is thirty years later. Like, and I kind of have an idea of what happened. Like, what ended up happening is originally it was a married couple that mo that moved in. The married couple split. The mom moved in with the with the wife because the man left. And the mom moved in. She ended up going down, living in the basement while the daughter lived upstairs with the kids. So that's what ended up happening that way. So, but what, the thing is that my, my, my dad knew the person because the, 
the uh, mom worked where my dad's work was. So that's, I guess, that's how they came around. Um, so when it was the married couple, they took care of the house. Things got, and again, for the first 25 years, things were pretty normal. Like even when we went in for the year, things were pretty normal. The last five years that they were there was when my mom got sick first. She had Alzheimer's. So we kind of dropped the ball at that point when she got sick. I mean, everything else became less of a priority. And so we didn't go to look at it. And then we started hearing funny stories after. And it was just weird, right? Like, I mean, I heard, like, I think they might have even been running a rooming house at that for the last couple of years. Wow. You right? said like, great things. I love what you said. They were there for 25 years. Everything was fine. And I was going to ask you, but you answered. You guys were going every year to check because that's yeah. what you do with a rental property. You go check, you do that visit, you walk through, make sure everything is on the up and up. Now, on those 25 years, were you guys raising the rent or did it stay the same? My dad was very slow to raise the rent, which is also the reason they gave us a problem. They didn't want to leave. Well, at the time that we, that this all happened, the average rent in the, um, in the area for a house would have been about $2,600. Wow. And my dad was still collecting like $1,200, right? So he just, very, I think he started at a thousand, he raised it up to 1200 and then just never raised it again. I, I think what it is, he raised it until the mortgage, you know, the legal limit, until the mortgage was paid. And once the mortgage was paid, I think they stopped raising it. Right, yeah, and unfortunately, many investors do that. They think it's just about the mortgage, but really, when you look at it, that payment can fund other, other properties. Uh, but you, you bother which was probably old school, right? Old, very old school, yeah. And, you know, so that's just the way it was. Now, like the way my dad bought it is not, it's not that he went out like a traditional investor would. Right. And like traditional investor would buy a property, they would look to uh, buy one so they can rent it. My dad, what it is, he came to Canada, he bought a property. And then when he lived there and, it, and then just the family grew, he had to move. Well, most people would sell to buy another one. He would just buy the other one and then rent the last one. Mm. So, yeah, as he kept moving, he kept renting, <laughs> right? So he just never sold. Yeah. Oh, right, so, right. Yeah, but, which is one of the strategies that many people use. It's just um, just buy and, and hold and rent and collect rent until whenever. These people obviously pay pay the house down, which is incredible to me. They literally had the, a mortgage without, at the end, they pay all that rent and they had nothing to show for. Amazing. Yeah, and that's the other thing, right? Like so, but he still did well. I mean, think of it, even $1,200 of rent over 30 years, like out of that 1,200, even I'm gonna be modest and say 500 is profit. Right. Right, and, and to be honest, it was more, but pretend it was just 500. That's $6,000 a year times 30 years, that's $180,000. No bad. <laughs> he did $180,000 when he bought the property for 70. Wow. Right. And on top of that, we sold it for 500. Nice, nice. So imagine if we had, um, and there's something to think about, right? So I know people are starting, most people that are listening are, are brand new uh, investors, but something that um, you guys could have done or anybody else could have done is get a property manager to prevent something like that from happening, especially when you have family issues. But in that moment, family trumps everything. You just take care of family and everything else just um, goes on the back burner so I totally totally get it so let's talk yeah. about yeah so let's talk about you see that and still you thought I'm gonna go into real estate you still liked it even after that experience I did actually like I, I again it's one of those things that um, 
if I'm going to see open houses as it is, I might as well sell it and collect money. Right? Like it just made sense. Even as a, even if you want to be just an investor, having your license just for the inside tip can be worth it. Now, I don't suggest anybody get their license if you're like five years away from buying because it's a, it's not a cheap uh, endeavor. Like to have my license, if I do nothing other than hold my license, it costs me 7000 a year. Now, because I put in the marketing, I put it on my website, I put in everything else, I'm spending a good fifteen to 20000 But that's because I'm active. If I were buying it just for purchases and nothing else, I'd pay, pay the bare minimum and wouldn't care. Right, but again, I, I suggest you know it takes about eighteen months to get a license to go through the school and focus on it. So with that being said, if you're about two years away from buying, start now. You know you're about five years. Start in three years to get your license if you're looking for that reason. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I thought I thought about doing that as well, and when I started studying, I realized I'm not gonna like this, and I switched to become a loan officer, and I take I took the classes. And then when I was about to get the license, I'm like, I don't like this either. So everybody has different ways to get into real estate. Sometimes they do get their their real estate license or they become a loan officer, whichever way they go. Um, I strongly suggest that they shadow someone. That's something that I have done a couple of times because once you're in the environment, then you'll know, do I see myself here or is it something that I don't want to do at all? Absolutely. Now here's the other thing, right? One thing you gotta remember now, there's many things going on in the economy, many things going on throughout life. Like my dad's generation could go to work, you know, save your money, put it in a RSP or whatever, or a GIC, whatever, and just leave it there. And it could grow. And then when he retires, he gets a company pension and he can live out between what he saved, what he invested with his RSPs, GICs, whatever. He, he can have an okay living. But that was when you're born in 1930, like my dad. When you're, when you're born, even my generation's a bit too late for that. And I was born in the 70s. Yeah, so with that being said, anybody born today or in the last 20 years, yeah. don't count on that. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're in the same boat as I am as a realtor. I don't have a pension. So what that is, you have to think forward and invest your money because nobody ever earned their way to riches. Right, like even even when people, I know even when people will say, "Well, look at Mark Zuckerberg. He didn't earn it. Facebook earned it, and he invested in the Facebook. Facebook is his company. Sure, he was the founder, but it wasn't just him. It was a group of people. The company succeeded, and his investment within the company is what earned him, not his job as CEO. Love it. Yeah, yeah. A job. I don't think many people are gonna get rich just with a job. Uh, but that's that. That's another another topic for another day. So, how do you become a real estate investor? Do you inherit your your dad's properties, or how, how did did that happen? No, uh, we sold off everything by the time he got sick and passed on. Okay. So, um, I basically I follow the same step. I move from one place and keep the old. <laughs> you, you, you stay. Now, I don't know how it's in Canada here. If you're gonna do owner occupy, you have to stay for a year. How is it in Canada? It's exactly the same thing. Okay. Um, it's it's exactly the same thing. Right? Same same. Okay. Again, that's just to avoid taxes. But you only have to worry about taxes if you ever sell. Correct. And no matter what, like prime example, I live in my in um, I live in this home in a city called Grimsby. If right now I won't pay any taxes if I uh, sell it. But if I leave and I go just say to, to another place in Toronto, like to the city of Toronto, and now I rent out this place. I'm paying the taxes regardless. 
Right. There's no way around it. With my dad's era, when you used to move into a place, you could literally move in to a place, stay for the year, like you said, move out, go to another place. You want to sell it, move into the uh, place again for a year, and it was considered your primary home again, your tax exempt, and then you can move out and move back to the original house, and that was perfectly legal. They changed the rules, I would say maybe about seven years ago, that if you just say you own the home for 10 years, if you lived in it for five years and you've rented it out for five years, and it doesn't matter that you lived in it for the first three and the last three, what happens is, yeah, sorry, I said five, not six. So if five, what happens is you pay the capital gains on the five years it was rented and you're exempt for the five years you lived in. So the government will actually want you to go back through the years and have that calculated. So they compensated for the little tricks that people were doing. Right, right. That makes sense. So that's why it's so important that you know whatever strategy you're going to start with um, real estate investing. If you're going to do um, a government-backed mortgage and you want to do um, owner-occupied, you need to know how long you got to stay there. You talk about capital gains. And again, we're talking to people that are brand new. Um, they are different things that you can do to avoid paying for capital gains. Make sure that you talk to the right accountant, one accountant that is specialized in real estate investing, maybe even if they are real estate investors themselves, because they'll be able to steer you the right way instead of, like you said, the rules change and the rules yes. change all the time. So you heard something that worked for somebody else, do your due diligence and find out if that's still the law, if that's still the rule, follow it check your county check your city check your state check your country because it might be that that's not the case anymore i just wanted to give that little disclaimer exactly like another thing that works and i can speak to ontario i can't speak to anywhere else in the world right is that you don't pay capital gains or any form of taxes on loans so it's another way around it is an example pretend you buy a house for five hundred thousand, and you have your 20 percent down payment 20% of 500,000 is 100,000. So your mortgage is 400,000. So 10, they say real estate doubles every 10 years. I mean, forget the market that's crazy now and it's new right. seven. Let's go normal market, which is 10 years. So in 10 years, you want to sell. So that 500,000 is going to become worth a million dollars. So what you do is on year nine, you take out a mortgage to bring it back down to 20% from the equity. So you take that extra 500,000 out, plus the extra, just say in 10 years, you would have paid off 100,000. So you take another 100,000 out as well. So you take out 600,000, leaving your $100,000 original amount in there. So yeah, and then you keep that house for the year with the loan. Then you're only, you're only gonna pay the uh, capital gains on the appreciation from your nine to 10. And you only pay the capital gains on the appreciation from the extra equity you got by paying it off for another year of mortgage. Right. So what, if, if, let me ask you this. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Do you guys have 1031 exchange there? Can you put no. that? You don't. Oh. No, no, no. That's another thing that changed. We used to have something similar. Okay. And, and you know, because I know what it is. It's like what you do is you, you sell one property and buy another. You're exempt. Yes. With that, right? We used to have that part of the change with the capital gains, like from the primary home, that was removed as well. Wow. But yes. then that's why, but we still have the ability to use loan as our friend. Remember, okay. <laughs> that $500,000 home became a million. You've never had that extra 500000 You right. take it out on a loan, sell it a year later, that 500000 is yours. You right. didn't pay it, you don't pay it on that. I love it. And the house is going to pay the loan anyway, so who cares, right? Exactly. Love it. 
love it. I love it. So, okay, so you started buying property. What was your strategy when you started buying? You said that you did the same thing as your dad. You yeah, I just basically, I, every time I move, I, I buy another place and I keep the old place. And then, um, so yeah, like that's pretty much it. Rent, like rent's bringing cash flow. Um, I started out, like I'll put it this way, I started off my venture mortgage free. And um, I built into mortgages for the everything we just talked about. Plus, it's still, you know, it gives you more opportunity to invest more. Right, right. Right, so I, I grew, which is hard for me, believe it or not. I grew up with the mentalities you get rid of the mortgages. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. Thank you for saying that. Because, unfortunately, people here in the U.S. have also been kind of brainwashed into no debt. I'm not talking about good debt. There is such a thing as good debt. Uh, consumer debt, not so much. But when you have a debt of an asset that makes you money and helps you not pay taxes, that's, that's a great debt to have. Absolutely. Now I'm going to give I'm going to give a very big lesson to everybody, and because um, nobody thinks of this, but because I grew up in real estate and I saw the waves, I do think of this. Now a lot of times when I say don't go down the like don't go down to ten or twenty percent of equity on a regular basis, like if you know you're cashing out in a year, do what I said. If you can do it in your your place, but if you're still on the hold part where you're not going to sell do not go down to 10 to 20%. I would try to keep it at 35%. And my reasoning is that we've had a strong economy or a strong housing economy, should I say, for the, at least the last 12 years, if not more. And to be honest, Canada has had it longer than 12 years. We didn't dip like the states did in 2008. Ours were marginally moved. So with that being said, and with all these bidding strategies and lack of homes and everything that's gone on, there's bound to be a correction at some point. Now, where, what I'm going with this is that you don't know if you bought today, you don't know if you bought on the height or if you're still at the bottom because we don't know when this correction is going to happen. So what happens is pretend you're buying it today, you could have bought it at the height. Now, what ends up happening is that if you go into refinance and bring it down to 20% or 15%, what will end up happening is I'm going to use the, I'm going to use a number again, pretend that 500,000, you have a hundred thousand in now over the uh, years, you put in another hundred thousand, you got 200,000 in, which is 40%. Now you're going to go back down to a hundred thousand. What happens is if the market corrects a bit and it goes down to 400,000, what end up happening is the bank won't turn around and say, Oh, well, you know, you still have your hundred thousand in there. They're going to turn around when you're under a certain credit limit. They're gonna, you're gonna say you weren't approved for that credit. You have to pay us the difference. You got 30 days. And if you can't have it, they will actually repossess your house, even though you're making the payments. So what ended up happening is if you have 30%, that will be more than enough to compensate the wave because a crash isn't the way people think. People think my million dollar home is gonna go to 200,000 and it crashes. No, no, no. I mean, even look at 2008, you had some bad times, but it didn't crash more than 40%. And that was the worst it's ever been. Usually it only crashes 15 to 20. If you go back by history. Right. Right. So if you, if you allow that 15 to 20 with your approval rate, even with the dip, you're still in the mortgage qualification. You won't have that problem. Right. And, it, and if you're not selling, who cares if it dips? Who cares if the- and that's what I'm saying, but you're protected that way. That when the market comes back up, you're fine. You yeah. can play again. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and I know that we mentioned quite a few terms. If you guys don't know, please let us know in the comments and we'll, I'll definitely make sure to, to, 
define everything we talked about, but correction is when, like right now, this is a seller's market. Someone selling a house, they're gonna have so many offers overpriced and they are gonna get whatever they want basically because people are desperate. But what happens, that's been happening for a while. What happens is eventually the market's gonna say, oh my God, we've been going up so high. Now houses are gonna cost less and people that bought too much, too much house, let's just call it, they're gonna be stuck if they wanna sell. If they stay in the house, they'll be fine because the market will do the same thing again. It will go back up. That's the beauty of real estate. It does this all even flows, but it does go back up, which is why they always say, don't count on, um, what's the word? Don't count on equity because you know that, that's not something tangible. It can just disappear overnight. Right, which also brings up the point that house you live in is not your investment property. Because you have to live somewhere. Just say you sell your house for a million dollars. Ooh, I doubled my money. Well, where are you going to move to? What are you going to buy? If you rent, everything you made is going to go right back in. Right. Now, can you guys do over there um, owner occupy and house hack where you have a multifamily house, live in one apartment, and then rent the other ones? Uh, well, especially now. Right now, they're giving you permits for stuff that, that uh, five years ago, they would have told you you're crazy. Wow. Now they're approving things because we have such a housing problem. But where I'm going with this is that, yes, you could. The, the catch is on the portion that's rented, you're still paying the capital gains even when you're living in the house. Oh, wow. Okay, understand. understand. Right? But I mean, if you're renting out half your house, and remember, capital gains is only 25%. It's not like income tax where it varies based on the income. You can make a million dollars, it's 25%. You make 500000 is 25%. You make $10 million, it's 25%. Um, so, yeah, so it doesn't matter. That doesn't fluctuate. And, and remember, while you're collecting the rent, you're getting deductions. So you're getting deductions from your income. So even if you calculate the amount you saved on your taxes, it doesn't really mean 25%. It only stings because you can't take what you saved and deduct it from that 25% and put it in and say, look, I paid it. You know what I mean? It comes out all, all at once. <laughs> Makes sense. I love it. We could talk about this stuff forever, which I love. So in all your years, how long have you been doing um, real estate investing? I, well, myself, I, you're <laughs> 2000, I, I, my first property that was in my name mm -hmm. was 2016. Okay. Um, yeah. And now we're in 2022. So there we go. So when you first started, did you have any, any trepidation as to get, getting started or did you know what you were doing? Do you have any fears or did you just jump in and did it? I just jumped in, but remember, I'm a realtor. So one is the house I was living in is already the house I was living in. I started with no mortgage. So it was one of those things that I saw the stuff day in, day out. It's not going to be the same perspective as somebody just jumping in and has never been in it at all. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has a different story, which is, it's always good to remember that sometimes we get stuck on, oh, I, I, I don't have their story. Well, you can start if, either way you can start. It doesn't really matter. Let me ask you this. Now that you've been doing this since 2016, what will you tell your pre-real estate investing self that you have learned in all the years that you have been investing? Uh, well, what would I have done? I would have changed everything. When I was young, I was a uh, party year. I remember I told you with my uh, past, I had a uh, eight-figure business. Right. By the time I sold the business, I had none of the money left. So you can kind of see the kind of lifestyle I had. Right. I would have scaled back and I would have done the investments back then because that would have still given me cash flow to do whatever I want. 
And maybe I would have still ended up with a net zero in the bank, but the cash flow would have kept on coming. Exactly. Right? So at least the money would never run out versus when you have it as just cash sitting in the bank and you spend it, it's only going one way when uh, when the income stops. Right. So wise. I love that. I love that. So John, how would people get in touch with you if they wanted to learn more about what you do? You said that you're a coach. Tell us a little bit about what kind of coach you are and where they can get a hold of you. Okay. Well, in terms of coaching, I thought since I'm in the real estate space, I help people with real estate. Um, whether it's uh, agent mortgage agents, whether it's real estate agents, I help them, uh, you know, basically find clients, build systems, create marketing opportunities, and uh, teach them how to create a system so they can service their clients. And I can help other people who are wanting to get into investing, how to start the process. I love it. I love it. And obviously, as we have learned today, you have a lot of experience. You not only with your dad, but with your own properties, and as a realtor, I'm sure you definitely know how to do the numbers, which is one thing that it stops a lot of real estate investors or new ones anyway, is crunching the numbers, making sure that the property works. Absolutely, not. the one biggest piece of uh, you know advice I can take, I can give you to like for your viewers and listeners to take, is that stop making it emotional. Mm. There's too many people I've dealt with. And uh, oh, oh, this will get more rent, but I don't like it. You're not living there. It doesn't matter, right? As long as you can collect rent, because look, if it's everyone else that's hesitating on buying a property, when you go to sell it, you're going to have other people hesitating to buy that property. So if something is more in demand, chances are, even though may not be the property you want, it's in demand and whoever else is looking at it will be in demand as well when you sell it. I love that. I love that so much. Don't make it emotional. That's that's if that is ever a nugget in this and this amazing conversation that we had. I think that's it. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can go on my website at justaskjohn.ca, or you can find me on Instagram at instagram.com/slash/johntapalone. Love it. Easy peasy. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to my listeners. I hope that they learn something and that they stop staying in the sidelines, waiting to become real estate investors and actually jump, getting the help that they need and listening to podcasts like this one. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Every week, I'm going to come in and bring you amazing people just like John that are amazing at what they do and are happy to share their stories and their lessons so you can inspire yourself and become a real estate investor. I'll see you next week. Bye.